This is our part two, continuing from the message this morning. And what I will do is I will repeat the headings we've considered in this review of a long series. The first heading was actually introduction, uh, but the first heading in the review was the Sabbath is a creational institution. I went to three texts, could have gone to more for scriptural proof of that. Second was the Sabbath was incorporated into the Ten Commandments, and we looked at that briefly uh, in Exodus chapter 20. Third, the Sabbath is an Old Testament prophecy. Interestingly enough, the Sabbath of Old Testament prophecy is talking about our the days in which we live. So the New Covenant has something to do with this ancient institution called the Sabbath. Fourth was the Sabbath is mentioned often in relation to our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels. We just did a brief survey, survey but I mentioned that after his baptism and temptation, after going through the waters and then being driven out into the wilderness and being tempted, after that, Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit, and he begins teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath day. It was his custom to do so. He actually quotes from the book of Isaiah in the longest passage in Luke chapter 4. You can read it. Um, and he says, this thing that Isaiah is saying has be been fulfilled in your hearing uh, today. So he connects himself with the promised servant of the Old Testament on a Sabbath day in the synagogue. He also did many of his miracles on the Sabbath day and got in trouble for it over and over again, but justified not only his miracles, but also these other things like picking grain, uh, helping animals that might have fallen into a ditch. In our day, it might be taking your little poodle to the to the vet if it's needed, needed on a Sunday. You, you'd hope that it could wait till Monday, but if you go, the poor little critter's probably going to die. All right, take him to the vet. Things of that nature our Lord um, addressed, works of piety, works of mercy, works of necessity. So those were the four headings we looked at, and a fifth one to close out this series is this. The Sabbath is to be obeyed by Christians by keeping the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, holy. Now, a few things become clear by reading the New Testament, mining its contents for what Christians ought to do on the Lord's Day. Okay, this is the, this is the pay dirt, you know, at the end of the whole series. All right. Now, some people are going, okay, what am I not supposed to do? Right? Isn't that how we think? Can I mow my lawn? I'm going to say, if you got your ducks in a row, you won't even ask those kind of questions. But anyway, um, what is a work of mercy? So we're going to look at works of mercy, works of necessity, and works of piety. Those are the three major principles that the great, greater, better minds of the Christian faith have, have extracted from the gospel accounts to learn from Jesus how we ought to conduct ourselves on his holy day. His holy day because of the time in which he lived in redemptive history, was the seventh day of the week. Our holy day 
is the one he instituted by virtue of his resurrection. If we want to walk in the footsteps of the master, we want to, we want to follow him. So works of mercy um, uh, are in store. An ox falls into a ditch and needs to be helped out, and it happens to be on a Sunday, um, the principle of mercy is at stake there. If you're a dairyman, let's say, and you have your cows on a 12-hour cycle, it would be cruel and mean, and you can get them sick and actually get them to die if you didn't milk them on Sunday. An act of mercy is to milk them. But if you were a dairyman, you might say, well, look, cows, I'll milk you at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., and I'll feed you, but that's it. Okay, so there's an act of uh, mercy. There's tons of passages where Jesus does acts of mercy on the Sabbath day. Some of them we've looked at, but let's look at John 9. John 9, if you want a list of texts, I have, have all the li- uh, list of texts. But if we look at John 9, we'll kind of get a flavor for what's going on here. This is the man born blind, and I preach through this, but if we go to verse 13... We see, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes. Okay, so it already causes his eyes to function. He already causes new creation grace to come into this creation, eclipse it in a very small sliver of time on an individual's set of eyes, okay? Then the Pharisees also asked him, again, how he had received the sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. So here is an act of mercy. It's not necessity. Jesus didn't have to heal this man. He was free to out of the kindness of his own heart, and, and he did. And you read the Gospel of John. The Pharisees are wrong, and Jesus is right every single time. If you don't know who to side with when you read the Gospels, never side with the Pharisees. Always side with Jesus. He always gets it right. And what he gets right is the ethics, okay? The principles from the Old Testament that are speaking to the issues at stake, he always gets that right. The Pharisees got it wrong. I think I told you that between, you know, the so-called silent years, between Malachi and John the Baptist, uh, the closing of the Old Testament, the the writing of the New, uh, about uh, 400 years, um, that's when most of, during the exile, during the exile and during that time, that's when most of the extra laws upon and above the law of God were added by the religious leaders of ancient Israel. So that quite often is what Jesus is addressing. So here you have him on the Sabbath uh, healing this blind man. There's a bunch of other places where he does similar things. He healed quite often on the Sabbath, and this angered the Pharisees over and over and over again. But he was simply removing the added laws that tradition Gave the Pharisees. So, what's the principle for us? Work of mercy. We ought to be kind to those in dire need on the Lord's day. 
It's fine. It's good. Um, um, one of the books I was reading suggested uh, after church, after lunch, at your house or whatever, take your family over to a senior citizen's home and warn your children before they go in, it's going to stink. Tell them not to laugh at the wrinkled old ladies, but sit on their laps and be kind. Okay? I'm saying this because this is what we had to do. And I don't think they ever laughed, but we lost Mark one time because one lady took him on a ride all over the place, and she shouldn't have done that. But I'll tell you what happened. When they saw that our kids would sit on their laps, they were like jello or putty, you know, in, in our hands. Um, there's a work of mercy. Do you have? Does God require every single Christian in here to go to a senior citizen's home after church today? No, but you're free to, and it'd be a work of an act of mercy. It would be a, a kind thing. You'll find out that there are, hopefully, none of us will ever die like this. There are lonely people in those places because their families, the kids have abandoned them. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's worse. It's just not good. So if you're uh, mercy, if your child needs to see a doctor on the Lord's day, you say, fourth commandment, we got to wait till tomorrow. No, you just judge the situation. If you go, you know what? I, I know this child. They're not faking it. We, we need to get immediate attention. So what should you do? You should call the pastor and ask him if it's... A... No, you shouldn't. I want to say, stop. Take him to the stupid hospital or doctor or wherever you, know, wherever you need to take him. So we, we don't think in hard, cold um, categories. Okay, don't do that. Mercy is a pretty broad one. Um, so if someone's... You know, car is broken down on the freeway on the way home from church. You toss a Bible track out to him on the way home. <laughs> yes, maybe stop and help him. Ask him how you can pray for him. Hand him a fly- church flyer. Wow. So, so works of mercy, works of necessity. Uh, do you? Is uh, a regular consumption of calories, hopefully less than 2,000, and high in protein, necessary for the maintenance and quality of life? The answer is yes. Therefore, it's not a sin to eat on the Lord's Day. Wow. I got a kindergarten diploma, an eighth grade diploma, a high school two college ones, and three seminary ones, to tell you that one. It's not a sin to eat on the Lord's Day. It's a work of necessity. A sleeping is a work of necessity as an overall normal cycle of life. There are a lot of things that Jesus did that were ne- works of necessity, like justifying the eating the way they did from picking from the grain fields, um, and you know that, speaking of eating, the early Christians ate. It seems to be often in the early book of Acts when you had that unique situation in Jerusalem. But they seem to have continued that as well. And uh, so eating together, like we just did, is a good thing. It's a work of necessity. And it can also be a blessing to others. Like on the Lord's Day, we don't have an evening service. Part of me wishes I did. We did, but we don't, okay? 
But you have every Lord's Day evening. Maybe, here's just an idea. Not you guys, because you live in Arizona. Um, maybe, once a month, twice a month, have a family or two over. Say, come over for an early dinner, 5 o'clock, and crack open the hymnal and sing a hymn or two or talk about the sermon. Don't talk about the sermon. Uh, talk about this, chew the cud, as they used to say. Chew the cud, re- regurgitate the sermon with brothers and sisters. It's not hard to do, and once you get it going, it's, you'll see the Christian people, they love that stuff. It's just somebody has to plan it. And once it's done, some of you have been recipients of the kindness of several families in our church about that. You know, talk about the sermons you heard earlier, sing hymns, pray together. Um, since eating is a work of necessity, my, why not join it with fellowship with brothers and sisters? That's why uh, be hospitable one to, no, to, to another without sniveling. It's in the Bible someplace, First First Peter 4. But if you re- reap the benefits of it, you'll go, this, this tastes good. I like this. This actually encouraged my heart to love Christ more on Monday through Saturday by meeting with the saints, and it wasn't hard to do. Here's something else you might want to do. Eating is a necessity. Is it necessary to use porcelain plates and real forks? No. It's a luxury, right? So you might say, honey, we're doing the paper stuff on Sundays. Less work for everybody, more time for the family and for the brothers and sisters that might be over our house. Just throw the stuff away. That's a pretty simple thing, isn't it? Um, Other works of necessity would include protecting the life and safety of others, like policemen, firemen, doctors, nurses. Also occasions where someone might be forced to work, this happens on the Lord's Day in order to provide for their own families. If I don't do this, I, I basically get, either get fired, and I can't afford to get fired now. Uh, I want to move away from having to do this. But So you, people find themselves in that situation, especially younger. I think younger people find themselves in that situation. Sometimes it's worth uh, praying for and looking for a different line of work. Where those kind of situations, maybe they, they won't come up as often, or never. And young people need to think that way. What line of work do I want to get into? I want to be a professional football player. How are you going to go to church if you're playing professional football? Which they shouldn't have it on Sundays, by the way. Move it back to Saturday like it used to be a long time ago. So works of mercy, works of necessity, and then works of piety. That's probably the most obvious one, right? Piety, worship, private worship. Family worship, public worship. I think most Christians would say, yeah, I should get that in, uh, some McPiety in on Sunday. Um, for, for the, I should do the Lord's hour every Sunday, right? Or the Lord's two hours every Sunday. Our Lord is the prime example here. And as his custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and in this instance stood up to read. Public worship on the appointed weekly day was our Lord's weekly custom. I want to be like Jesus. Okay, then go to public worship every Lord's day. Listen to Paul. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up, 
as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. Notice that first phrase, on the first day of the week. And he had already told them, hey, I'm telling you just like I told the churches in Galatia, on the first day of the week, do something. He doesn't say gather for public worship. He says take a special offering to help the saints in Jerusalem. The assumption is what? They're already meeting on the first day of the week, okay? It's clear by the time we read about the church in Corinth, that was 1 Corinthians 16 too, that they met on the first day of, of the week. The reason was the resurrection. And there's Acts 27. says something pertaining to works of piety on the Lord's day as well. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, so that would have been Monday, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There's a couple things to notice here, not just from this verse. But he was ready to depart the next day. Why didn't he just depart? Matter of fact, you keep reading the passage. Verse 6 says, they stayed seven days in Troas. And listen to verse 16. He was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Paul was in a hurry. Why did he wait seven days and then wait till the day after the first day of the week to leave? If he was in a hurry, yet he stayed seven days in Troas, why did he do that? And all of God's people said he was waiting for the Lord's day to gather with the church. One man puts it this way. He arranges his travel schedule so that he could observe that day and worship with the church. Paul was in a hurry, and yet they stayed seven days there, and he didn't leave until the next day. He rearranged his travel schedule around the Christian holy calendar. That's pretty, I mean, it seems obvious to me. So what's the principle for us? Not only should we be good Troasians and go to our own church, but if we're a traveler like the Apostle Paul, we should change or revolve our schedule around going to public worship someplace. Which should make us think twice about where we go on vacations. You know, I have a good friend of mine, goes to vacation, Hawaii, talks about how stinky the churches were. I go, dude, it's your fault. You should have asked somebody first and found a good church. Now you're whining and complaining. I didn't say it that way to him, but I was thinking that inside. Don't go on vacation and come back and complain about the churches. Ask somebody. We're thinking about going to Phoenix for summer vacation. You probably won't be thinking about Phoenix for summer vacation, would you? But uh, what's that place we go to? Flagstaff. That's a better one. Ah, we can help. If it's good enough for the Apostle Paul, it should be good enough for us. So we got mercy, necessity, piety. This is just public piety, but we could say private piety as well. Is it okay to read Pilgrim's Progress every Sunday afternoon for two hours until you finish it? Yeah. Could you do that on Thursday? Yeah. For regular working families, Is it harder to do it on Thursday than Sunday? Probably. Should you pray on the Lord's Day in private? No, just public prayer. We're not going to do that, right? 
Does every single breath I take on Sunday have to be praise, prayer, or hearing the word read or preached? And the answer is no. But it should probably include more than we presently conduct ourselves in. How about some final practical applications? How many times do I say practical applications? I hate those things. Because you know what the tendency is here. Now you're really going to listen. Now you're going to take notes. But I'm not going to become your pope or Pharisee. So let me just say a few things. Number one, help others by doing works of necessity and mercy when needed on the Lord's Day. Well, that's pretty profound. Help others by doing works of necessity and mercy when needed on the Lord's Day. We can do it in our own church. When Ed was here in his wheelchair, you know what I did? Hardly anything. I didn't have to take him to the restroom one time. Guys in the church just did it. That was wonderful. That was a work of uh, mercy and, for Ed's sake, necessity, you know, on the Lord's Day in our midst. So go out of your way to try to help. There's a lot of things we do that are necessary to uh, maintain the building here or necessary to create an environment where we can actually sit down together and, you know, somebody has to turn the heater on. It doesn't have to be the deacon every week. And some of you are serving more in that capacity. So ask around, you know, what can I do to do works of mercy or necessity um, around here or, or elsewhere? A second practical conclusion is this, help others by not doing things that cause them to be kept from keeping the Lord's day. Help others by not doing things that cause them to be kept from keeping the Lord's day. I'm going to tell you what I mean here. But here's where I think we need to drill down into the principles so as to apply them in a loving manner toward others. Should we love our neighbors as ourselves? The answer is yes. Would we want our neighbor to live in such a way that provokes us to anger? The answer is no. Then we ought not to live that way ourselves, right? We should not live in such a way as that we consciously and purposely provoke our neighbors to anger. Would we want our neighbor to force us to work on the Lord's Day? Would we want our neighbor to come out of his house on a Sunday and say, you know what, I know you want to go to church, but I'm hungry. Go cook the pancakes at the restaurant. I'm going out to eat, and you're serving me. We would, rec- we would probably rather go, you know what, can you just make, come over to my house, and I'll make them that way. I can still go to church. Would we want our neighbor to force us to work on the Lord's Day when that work is not absolutely necessary? And the answer is, of course not. Then we owe them to do the same. We ought not to do things on the Lord's Day that unnecessarily cause others not to do what they ought to do. I pick my words very carefully. Unnecessarily. Are you saying it's a sin to go out to a restaurant? I didn't say that. I've gone to a restaurant on Sunday. How many times in the last 30 years? Twice? Three times? You can live your life 
Not even have to worry about those ethical dilemmas. Plan ahead. No shopping on Sundays. We're going to be ready for Sundays by Saturday noon or something like that. I'm filling cars up with gas. Have I ever filled up with gas on a Sunday? Some of you are going, you better say yes. Because if you don't and I do, it's a sin. No, we're not doing that. Yes, I've filled up on Sunday. Does, should, do I think all gas stations should be closed every Sunday? No, I don't. Do I think Christians should maybe plan ahead and try to fill up on Saturday so they don't have to get gas on their hands on Sunday and stink up the church buildings? Probably, yeah. Have I ever shopped on Sunday? Have I ever shopped on Sunday? The answer is yes. Do I make it a habit and a way of life? No. Do I think grocery stores should be open on Sunday? I, I want to say yeah. But you know what? If they weren't, we could still get along if you just plan a little. If we are going to take the principles of mercy, necessity, and piety seriously, it may mean we need to take a closer look at how we regulate the time God gives us each week. That's what it is, right? That's really what it is right there. It's like, all right. I don't know about this long list of do's and don'ts, okay? But I get the biggies, piety, mercy, and necessity. And that weird text in Isaiah 58, 13, 14 that the pastor read at the end of his morning sermon, I have no idea what it means, but it sounds really good. I want it. Then we got to redo what we do. And you know, here's what happens as well. Uh, I know what happens at first. You're going, oh, man. We do family birthday parties on Sundays. I don't want to offend my family. Well, you just slowly let them know, and over time, they get over it. And you know, a lot of times what I've seen, the Christians train the non-Christians to have the parties on a different day, or maybe later in the afternoon or something like that. Now, that doesn't happen overnight. Third, I don't know, I'm just rambling here. Third, my wife's saying finish. Steer clear of desiring lists of do's and don'ts that apply no matter the circumstances one faces, especially ones that come from spiritual leaders, because then you're being manipulated. If you have to call me on Sunday and say, hey, can we, can we dry these clothes? I've not done my job. Neither is your wife or whoever dries the clothes. Dry them on Saturday. Have you ever done clothes on Sunday? I'm sure she has, okay? Is it a regular practice? Like, does she set aside Sunday to do clothes? No. But stuff happens, especially when you live with near perfection. Okay, listen, listen. This, I'm quoting this man that I re- mentioned his book. The Bible does not give us a list of pre-approved, permitted, and forbidden works on the Sabbath. Rather, God tells us that if we keep the main thing the main thing, then the rest of the day should fall into place. If we set aside the work, here's what he says, and entertainments that fill Monday through Saturday, If we prioritize public worship and fellowship with God's people, and if our hearts take sincere pleasure in communion with God, 
then we are in a good position to make God-honoring and biblical decisions. So look at this one word, or this statement here. If we set aside the work and entertainments that fill Monday through Saturday. But let's just assume half the people in our church watch Blue Bloods or whatever once a week. Okay, So that would be a weekly form of entertainment. And let's say the husband says, you know what, honey? We're not doing the Blue Buds on Sunday anymore. Instead, we're going to watch an hour of RefNet. R.C. Sproul's on there every Sunday at 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock or whatever. Or we're going to go to YouTube and watch a John Gershner lecture on church history. We're going to do it as a family. And our kids, they're just going to have to get over it. And slowly but surely, we're going to pray. And and it's going to be a special time at, at at some point, it becomes special. Can we watch Dr. Gershner? Well, maybe not with Dr. Gershner. Sean really likes Dr. Gershner. You know why Sproul talks like this? Because Gershner talks like that. But things like that, that you slowly move into and make regular habits, um, it, it's not as abrasive. We're not doing that anymore. We're doing this. Don't do it that way. That's not going to be uh, helpy, helpful. I remember many, many years ago, I thought to myself, I think I was in seminary still. I'm going, oh, my, I can't do the pro football thing anymore. It's, it's just, I get absolutely consumed. MacArthur preaches. My soul gets filled, and 20 minutes later, we're racing home speeding so that we can get there by the time the game gets on. And then I'm screaming and yelling at the refs, and, you know, when it's over, and then I'm, let's go to church in the evening. It's like... It didn't work. It sucked all the wrong things out of me and put other vile things, well, provoked the vile things in me. I just said, no more. And you know what? I haven't missed it. Pastor, have you ever checked a score, though? (laughs) Yep. Should I? Probably not. Why? Sucks the life out of me wretched man that I am. Number four, attend public worship at this church or another if you are traveling. That's a no-brainer. It should be. Paul's example, remember, he seemed to rearrange his busy schedule around the Lord's Day. Here's another thing. When you're traveling, if you ask me or ask somebody else, hey, I'm going to, uh, we already use flags. I'm going to Flagstaff. You know any church? Uh, most likely, that not somebody's going to know of a church, but if they know of a church, they've probably been there before. They might even know somebody. And you might get, like we did, we got such a good kinship real fast with this guy that abominated my book. We were able to have them over to our place one week, and they, we went to their place another week. Now, they moved to Virginia after that, and we had didn't do it anymore. But you'll see that Christians... ought to be, and many are, glad to be hospitable to strangers. So you don't find yourself on your vacation where and Sunday is just like Saturday or just like Monday or just like any other day. It should be different as well. Number five, never, ever look on the Lord's Day as a dry, dull, dreary day. Remember the words of our Lord, the Sabbath was made for, man, there's something good about the Sabbath for us. And in God's 
goodness, he gives us this undeserved gift for our pleasure, for our benefit. So look upon the Lord's Day as, quote, a type of everlasting rest the saints enjoy in heaven. Didn't we just sing that? We just sang that. You realize what we just sang? We just sang, number 323, that views the initial Sabbath and the Lord's Day both transcending each other, looking to the eternal state. By the way, the better you know the Old Testament, the better you're able to see these connections between Jesus and his work and all that's transpired in the Old Testament. So get that $8 book and read it. On this day, every week, here's the way we need to think it. I've got an appointment with God. Talk about prioritizing. That's it right there, right? On this day, every week, we are summoned by heaven to remember the resurrection of our Lord and be reminded that one day we too shall be as he is, resurrected, glorified, and in the safe presence of God forever. If you keep the main things, the main thing like that, a lot of these peripheral things never become the main things. And, and I know it's hard, and it doesn't always work, but our children need to be trained this way as well. So they can't play with toys? I didn't say they can't play with kids. or kids. They do kids' things, okay? But you make it different, you know? Uh, they can't watch TV. I didn't say it's a sin in every single case to watch TV on Sunday, but it's different. You know, you do make it different. I'm just rambling now, and I hope this has been helpful. I really abominate lists. I used to get in fights with people about lists. They wanted them, and I was glad to give them. And then I learned, no, I got, I got a threefold list, piety, mercy, and necessity, and Jesus gave me those principles. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I realize there are a lot of questions about a lot of things, but again, keep the main thing the main thing. No mixed Sabbaths. Um, Jesus is the center of our Lord's Day, should be the center of... Our thoughts, he isn't always as he ought to be. Uh, What is that hymn number? I don't know the number, but I know the words because they're painfully true. We have not loved thee as we ought. None of us have. But what does God do? Just lavishes grace on us. You say, well, I'm not a very good Christian. I didn't know any of this stuff, you know, five years ago or even six months ago. I've been a horrible Christian. Yeah, join the club. Some know more than others, so. Pastor, do you ever look at scores on Sunday? I didn't say I did, I just grieved. He said, well, you've been doing this a long time, and you still mess up? And the answer to that is, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, <laughs> his grace. Yeah, but I don't like it. When I make a bad decision and feel terrible about it, because I know that wasn't mercy, 
That wasn't necessity. That wasn't piety. That was meism. I feel yucky. And I confess it to God and ask him for grace and wisdom to go ahead. Okay, I'm mumbling. May the Lord help. Put these words into your heads and hearts, the ones that are accurately reflecting his word. And um, I think we've only scratched the surface of the potential for the Lord's Day to be a great blessing to us and um, may give us wisdom. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that piety, mercy, and necessity would be those great regulating scriptural principles that govern our decisions on Sundays. We do want to honor you. We don't want to get Pharisaic. We don't want to have hard, cold rules for every single circumstance of life, no matter what. Uh, it's impossible. But keeping the main thing, the main thing, the centrality of public worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the law, the gospel of Christ, the public preaching of the word and reading of the scriptures and the singing of the praises and the partaking of the body and blood of our Lord and the fellowship of the saints, keeping those things front and center are, 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 are what's going to help us to live in harmony with each other and in more blessedness. We pray that you would save lost people that might have heard my voice today, first service and second, and sanctify the saved. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.